How's Rock Harbor this morning? Good. Good to see everybody here today. We are on page 11 in our study guides. Talking about God blessing Jacob or Israel. The central truth for today's lesson is that God patiently draws sinners to repentance and submission. Uh, a big key word there that we can we can really unpack this morning is is being patient in that. And that's going to go that's going to go two different ways. That's your own individual walk and the way that God has been patient with you. And you can probably draw a lot of stories and have a lot of things you could probably say about the way that God has been patient with you, the way that God has waited on you, the way that God has been merciful and, and the forgiveness and and uh, even things, and we'll talk about this later on, even things that you've had revelated to you by the Spirit that you didn't know before that you know now. And you wonder, you ever, you ever wonder, you ever read something and you wonder, why in the world am I just now getting this? Amen. Like, this is like so simple. Like, I should have gotten this a long time ago. And it's, uh, I like that because the reason that we don't is because we think we're all grown up and we think we're ready to go and we think we're past a lot of things. And then you learn some things and you think, wow, why didn't I get that? And you realize that you are still a child. And I'm, not, I'm talking about not maybe numerically, not by age, but in God's eyes. You're still children learning, still children trying to figure some things out. And so patiently also works in regard to the people that you are praying for that you would like to see a change in their lives. Right? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of people that you are praying for that haven't changed yet. But I'm sure we've all got some. And you're patiently waiting for them. And, and really the thing that I, I want to I tell you this morning is that we've got to be patient with the people that we are praying for the way that God has been patient with us. And that is really hard to do. It's actually easier uh, said than done. You know, I say that this morning. It's easier to say it here. I mean, it's super easy. You know, because, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to be patient. Well, it, it, we say that until we get out there and we start praying again or they do something to aggravate us. Or we start seeing progress and then all of a sudden they fall off again. You're like, oh, God, I'm just going to give up. No, hold on. Because God never gave up on us. God's always been patient with us. So there's a lot of patience wrapped up in in our relationship, not only with the Father and the patience he's had with us, but also uh, the, the patience that we have with other people. So the story of Jacob shows the life-changing uh, power of God. Jacob had been a dishonest deceiver, but God had a plan for his life. It had been a long road from the day he had lied to his father Isaac, taken the birthright, and fled to his uncle's home, which was a story we talked about last week. Now he was returning with his family and his considerable wealth. Yet he needed God's blessing as he reunited with his brother Esau. After wrestling with the Lord through the night, Jacob received a new name and a fresh blessing from God. Due to the transforming power of God, never again would he be the same deceiver who had fled many years earlier. And going back to kind of what we were, we were saying there at the beginning, I think we all agree that God changes us. Like all, we all agree with that. But God's changing power, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying this... When I say this, I'm not saying it to make a point that it doesn't work because it does. I want to I reference the way that God changes us the majority of the time. Yes, God changes us at the altar. 
Yes, he changes us when hands are laid on us and we're prayed for us. Yes, absolutely. And, and by all means, never, never dismiss that as something less than a great time uh, and a great moment before the Lord and to bring ourselves into submission with him. But change, more often than not, comes over time. It comes over time. It comes with you being a different person than you were the day before. It comes with putting yourself before the Lord. It comes with going through problems and going through situations over long periods of time, bringing those things before God, struggling and dealing with them, and then coming out on the other side. And you are changed. You're not the same person you were before, but you're better than you were. How many of you understand things now in your older age than you did 20 years ago? You look, you have a different view on life. I don't. I don't see the God the same way that I used to 20 years ago. Even the way that I, my relationship with him and the way that I see him, the way that I see myself. I've had a lot of things revealed to me over the years that were not pleasant. Still working on those things. Didn't like them. Didn't see them, though, 20 years ago. Didn't even see them as being an issue. But over time, we change. And over time, God changes you. And that's, that's good, but I want you to understand that the most valuable things that God places in your life are not necessarily uh, done within a moment's time or within a service or within the time frame of an hour and a half or, or any of those things. It's done over time. It takes time to understand God. It takes time to understand the convictions of the heart. It takes time to get away from old ways of thinking, maybe ways that we have thought our whole lives and then all of a sudden, to change, it's like we, you're not changing in one day. You're starting that journey and going down a different path. I've always said, you guys know this. I've, I've said it in here a lot of times. In order for us to unravel things that we've learned, it takes years. And I'm talking about things that are not good for us. You learn things from your family. You learned things long ago when you were a child that take years to unravel. And it's only by putting ourselves before the Lord and saying, show me what it is that displeases you. Show me the things, Father, that I need to leave at your feet and work on. And then when you see them, as, and I reference myself, when you see them, I'm like, how in the world did I miss that? How did I not know that that was something that was displeasing or something that was bad for me? Well, here we go. We're going to start down that journey. Did it happen overnight? No, but I've been, it's been pointed out. Now we're going we're gonna to put it before the Lord and we're going to work on getting rid of it. We'll take care of it. Now, sometimes it does happen immediately, and that'd be great. Wouldn't it be great if we could just have it happen all at once, all the time? Amen. Transformation. That'd be great, but it, it doesn't work that way. In last week's lesson, Jacob fled from Esau to live with his uncle Laban in the area of Padan Aram in northern Mesopotamia, where the family had originated. Twenty years later, Jacob, having established a large family, made his way back to Canaan and sought reconciliation <coughs> with Esau. Now, we're going to get into this, but you... I'm, I'm using the 20 years that we're talking about here, and I made reference to that already 20 years later. Um, in, the, in the waiting, in the seeing God's plan unfold, not usually in the time frame that we desire. And I'm not going to rehash that because we've been talking about that in the weeks past. But I think we all are in the, in the, on the same page when we say that it takes time and we have to be patient with the Lord in this regard, that in order to see God's promises unfold in our life, you might wait 20 years. And you, we sit here in our culture today, we're like, oh, why? I don't want to wait 20 years. You know, if I'm asking you, you say, do you want to wait 20 years? Nobody wants to wait 20 years. Nobody wants to wait 10 years. 
Nobody wants to wait one. But if it means walking into God's plan, if it actually means walking into the place that pleases him and being in the place that you belong, isn't it worth the wait? Is it worth the time? Yeah, I mean, what I've, I've said, I say this to, this to my kids before. What else were you going to be doing? I mean, seriously, what else were we going to be doing with our lives? So, well, it's a long time. What else you want to do? You want to fall back into sin again? You want to go back down that path because we were impatient with God? Let's go for it then and see where that leads you. It's not going to take you anywhere good. So, what else are we going to be doing? We might as well lock in on God, lock in on his ways, be patient with him. And if it means 20 years and it's 20 years, if it's 10, whatever, let's let him, let's let him do it. Okay. Um, 20 years of Jacob having established large him, made his way back to Canaan and sought reconciliation. He saw God's covenant promise to Abraham was marching forward. In this portion, uh, portion of the story, we see Jacob turn from his ungodly past and become the person of persistent faith God called him and us to be. Let's read our scriptures this morning. That's Miss Hinton in the back, would you please? Thank you. Before we get into section one, I, I want to say in, that, you know, we were talking about growing with God and, and it taking time. We all know that in, in order to grow properly, there are growing pains. And uh, I think about my, my own kids in the physical sense, you know, Zayden 
he shot up faster than, than Zale did, and, and he got tall really fast. He said, I think we measured him not too long ago, he's, he's about 6'2 and a quarter now. He's still growing. And he would complain about femur pain. He said, my legs are hurt. It hurt him so bad. And, and you all know you had kids, so you know when your kids are hurting and they go through, and they're, you know what it is. The growth plates turn loose, and he had uh, oshkeloggers, I think that's what it's called. Uh, and right down here, it would hurt him so bad in that knee area. And, they, and so the research shows that the growth plate right under that knee right there uh, has to turn loose because the bones are growing so fast. But in the midst of that excessive growth, there's a lot of pain. And so I reference that because that's, we can use that in our own personal lives, in our walk with God, that the excessive pain or the, the excessive uh, being uncomfortable or being in situations we don't like and we think, God, I'm praying, but it, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. <clears throat> Remember that with growth comes pain. In order to grow properly, there's going to be some pains. If there's excessive growth, there's excessive pain. And I, I love to use that because that helps me. It helps me understand. It helps me understand that some of the stuff that I've even come out of, and, and you can too, you can, you can reference this. You think of, go back in your history, your, and I'm talking about your spiritual history, go back to the things that you were begging God to get you out of. Everyone has them. You probably may be in even some stuff now. Just think about God's history with you. Think about what you were going through, how you were asking him to deliver you. God, get me out of this. Take me, take me away from that job or take me away from those things. Well, then when you came out years later, you looked back and you thought, man, those were some of the times that I grew the most. You see? That's some of the times that I learned the most about God. As an individual, there were things I learned about him in the trenches and in the fires that I never knew about him. Things that he revealed himself to me in his word. Things that, that opened up to me that I had never seen before. Where did that come from? That come in the worst parts of your life. The pain is the worst when the growing is the most. And so some of you probably are going through some things right now where that growth plate has turned loose because it's so excessive. And it's like, whoa, hey, this is a lot. There's a lot going on here. Just wait. Just wait. You come out and you'll see God has done a work. So I'm telling you that as encouragement. Some of us right now, this morning, need to start looking back at the history that God has enacted on our lives and realize that he, this is not some sort of mistake. He's only doing the things that he's done all the times before. He's proven himself time and time again. And I say, if God's got a history of proving yourself in that way, sometimes we just need to settle down. Like, settle down. I remember getting mad if I got, if I got too mouthy with my parents. My dad would say, settle down. And I knew then when he said that, that was like, oh, okay, I, I said that said too much. Sometimes I believe God acts the same way. It's like, Hey, you're, you're being a little mouthy about your situation. Settle down. Settle down. I think that's good for us this morning to have to, to settle down a little bit. Realize that God's been faithful. He's not going to leave you. Okay. Section 1, Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob was deceptive in his relationships with family, and his trust in God seemed to waver. However, as he had fled from Esau, he vowed, If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing... And if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. 
The word translated if carries the sense of when. When Jacob did not know when the promise would be fulfilled, he had an eye toward that day. Genesis 32, 21-26 picks up the story of Jacob two decades later. He married Leah and Rachel, fled Laban in Mesopotamia, and set out with his family to return to Canaan. Upon his return, he sent a message to his brother and received a reply that Esau and 400 of his men were headed to meet him. Jacob attempted to appease Esau by sending ahead a collection of gifts. You say he's probably a little uneasy. He's uneasy about this. He remembers what he did before, stealing the birthright, and now he's, he's scared. And so there's a little bit of apprehensiveness, and so he sends uh, this uh, collection of gifts uh, to Esau, hoping that this will kind of uh, ease maybe the, the thing that's about to take place because he's nervous about this confrontation. The night before meeting Esau, Jacob sent his family across the Jabbok River. Alone in the darkness, Jacob was grabbed by a man who wrestled with him until daybreak. All right, I want you to notice something here. It says, the night before meeting Esau, Jacob sent his family across the Jabbok River. Alone in the darkness, Jacob was grabbed by a man. Stop right there. He was alone. Sent his family. You say family is your support, right? Now get with me on this. In a sense, here I want you to think about this. It's kind of planned out this way. In order for God to deal with us directly, what has to be done is, he, is your support system has to be removed. I, I'm, I'm being very serious about this. Does God use your support system? Well, of course he does. But in order to get to you directly, there are times when he will deal with you alone in the dark. There's no one else around, and it's just you and him. This is the way that God deals with his people. And a lot of times we're uncomfortable with that because, because maybe we rely on certain people in our family to give us good advice, uh, certain, certain people that we have near us that are close to us, maybe a good friend, uh, maybe someone that we consider a leader or somebody that's, that's near us, and we say, well, we, I, I want to seek out their, their advice or seek out their counsel. There's nothing wrong with that. But there will come a time in each one of our lives when God will single you out, you're alone, and it's just you and him, and he's like, it's just you and me. You talk to me, no one else. You got a problem, you're going to lay it out right here. That's some, it's some sobering moments because if we're not brought into that moment and we feel the attack of the enemy, come on, am I the only person that has been attacked in the middle of the night? Wake up and your thoughts are just running wild and you can feel this attack of, of a looming of fear and doom. I know I'm not the only person that's been through that. Haven shared her stories with me. Haven's been through that a lot recently. That's a different story. But the attack, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So I'm just, I'm going to run away. I don't want to mess with it. No, you seek the Lord and you come to him and he meets you there. In that night watch, in that night hour, just you and him. It's like there's no one to turn to tonight. I don't really want to call anybody. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Right. It's just you and him. One of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given, I'll never forget this. And I say this, it's emotional for me because I remember what I was going through at that moment. When I was going through those things and I was at the, the darkest in the most difficult times, I was looking for God to deliver me. That was the word that was on my mind. This is too much for me. Get me out of this as soon as possible. I'll never forget what he spoke to me. 
on my knees and I'm like, God, you got to get me out of this. And I said, my prayer was send me somebody that can pray for me, that can get me through this. And he told me directly, you can, you can debate this later if you want. He told me directly, I'm not sending you anybody. It's you and me. That's it. Basically saying, pick yourself up. Get your word and let's go. I ain't sending you nobody. And I was, in my heart, it was like taken back. And it was, it, at that moment, it's like, grow up and be a man. Yep. Right now, this is it. Get up and move. That's the best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing that ever happened to me. Show me how to be a soldier. Show me how, show me how in the trenches he's right there with me. And that I actually needed that alone time. I needed to feel helpless. I needed to not have a support system that I could rely on. I needed to not have the crutches to always fall back on. I needed to feel helpless and alone because that pushed me completely to him. He's like, it's just you and me, son. It's just you and me. And we're going to get through this, and I'm going to bring you through it, but it's going to be you and me. He put me in a place where I knew that when I come out on the other side, I knew there was no one else I could think. I could only thank him. Those are the best times of your life. We may not realize it, but they're the best times of our <laughs> life. <laughs> Those are good times. Okay. Um, so he so he wrestled. You know, Jacob was grabbed by a man who wrestled with him until daybreak. Hosea 12, 3 through 4 calls this being an angel, though the phrase angel of the Lord often refers to God himself. The angel could not win, so he dislocated Jacob's hip. Painful, I can imagine. Here, here, could, could, we, could we attribute this, though? Could we attribute this pain to growth? Because something's about to happen here. He dislocates the hip, right? But something's about to happen here. A name change is about to take place. This is a major, you could say this is a major promotion. Like, what do you mean promotion? Like, <laughs> you dislocated my hip. He was promoted. This left Jacob unable to wrestle. He could only keep the angel from escaping, holding on. You ain't getting away. Jacob recognized this being was more than a man, so he continued to hold on until a blessing came. You've heard this story many times. If you've heard any kind of messages, you've heard this in, in the likes of, of wrestling and, and seeking God until you get um, that blessing. The way I look at this, too, is that this is the way I, I really think this embodies the, light, the walk of life. It's like, no, I'm not wrestling with God physically, per se, but this is the every day moving forward. Things hit me in the face. Things try to get me to stop. I get, well, you could say your hip's been dislocated, so to speak, or your body is failing. Something's not right, but yet you keep pressing forward and keep pressing towards God. There's a blessing that comes from doing that. And... You know, it, it may not be a situation where you say, well, I, I just want to quit. It may not be that. It may not be a situation where you're thinking about dropping out of Christianity or dropping out of church or anything like that. It could refer to your fervency. It could refer to your discipline. It could re, uh, <laughs> refer to the things that you're, you do to stay in contact with God and to be disciplined. And then these things hit you to discourage you and to kind of pull you off track. But you're resilient and you wrestle. You say, no, I'm not going to do that. And you, in the sense of holding on, 
you grab a hold of God and you say, I'm not letting go. I refuse to let go until I get what I need from you. That's what God is looking for from us. And I, I, I think we can use that. I think we can use that this morning as an embodiment of the life struggle and the things that each one of us are struggling with day in and day out. It's going to take a, a, a bit of um, perseverance on your part, decision-making on your part to continue with the walk of God. Do you have an excuse? Let, let, let's say this because I think this kind of gets it out in the open. Do you have an excuse to quit? Probably. You probably have an excuse to quit. You probably have good reason not to show up at church or good reason not to do the things that God mentions in his word. You probably got good reasons. You could probably argue the fact. But that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for us to be resilient in the midst of those tribulations and trials. He knows that you have an excuse. That's what makes it so precious. Because you don't accept it. You grab a hold of him and you say, I ain't letting go. I want to grow. I want to get closer to you. Even if it means my life, the pain, the heartache, I, I'm willing to go through it. So I think you can use that this morning. So when Jacob was asked, that is where I'm at, right? Yeah, when Jacob was asked, what is your name? It wasn't a matter of introduction. This is good. Pay attention to this. The name Jacob means supplanter or replacer and is linked with deception. Asking Jacob his name forced him to face his past and admit guilt. Why was that important? Well, because confession is fundamental. Confession is fundamental. It's like, no, you don't get to really move forward until we confess that we were in the wrong. And, and, and really, this is directly, obviously, directly tied with God himself. It's like, okay, I, wanna, I need forgiveness. Well, where does forgiveness come from? It comes from God. So you face him. Now, you could say, and I've heard this so many times, it's like, okay, well, the cross did all the work, though. Right? But there has to be a confession on our part that we are a sinner. That we made the mistake. That we blew it. There has to be a confession on our part. Because if there's no confession, then we can't actually begin the... Um, redeeming process so there has to be a confession there has to be an admittance and so this is fundamental at at the core level of everything in your life is the confession confession that you were wrong in your relationships confession with your spouse confession with your children confession at the job confession in the church confession before the lord confession in everything and if there's no confession there'll always be a budding of heads always and so you may be here this morning, you may say, well, confession is not really my thing. I just kind of brush it underneath the rug and say, well, I'm going to do better, and you move forward. Uh, you're missing something here. You're missing it. There has to be a confession that we were wrong. That gets pride out of the way. Do we understand how fundamental that is? It's got to be that way. Well, I think there's a great deception today of exactly what you're talking about. People, they don't think they have to confess anything. Just keep living in sin like they are. Yeah. Confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also confessing I'm going to change my ways. 
to line up with the word of God. Yeah. Uh, and that that's just people are so confused this day and time of a lot of things, but this is one of them. Yeah. There 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 does. It, there really does. And 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 you know, going back to to that core part of it, you know, if you've offended if you've offended somebody, let's you know, if, if something's happened, if there's dissension between you and your spouse, then there has to be a confession. It's like, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? You go to your spouse and say, I apologize, I was wrong. A lot of people just want to sweep that thing underneath the rug. It's like, well, they're my spouse. They don't really need an I'm sorry or need an apology. They know where I'm at. Hold on a second. Confession is fundamental. And so if you want to, if you want to fuse things that have been broken, Across the board in all relationships, there has to be a confession. You know what? I was wrong. I, I, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Then, then that thing can unfold and go in the direction it needs to go. But a lot of times it keeps going back to, the, to, to problems and back to uh, difficulty because there's no confession. Mm-hmm. And it's a part, you know, confess with your mouth and believe in heart. Living your heart. And that's, it's, it's, again, it's a growing element among modern religion today. And things like that. If you can bypass that, then things are going to be okay. Yep. That's not true. No, no, that's absolutely right. Okay. But then God said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Here's the promotion. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have followed God and with men and have won. You've won. Where would, well, if you won, but where would the failing be? Flip the coin. Where could he have failed that? That night when he was wrestling with God, where could he have failed? It says he won. Where would the failure would have, where would the failure have been? Given up. Yeah. Given up. Let go. Remember, he had dislocated hip. It's too much pain. I'm done. I'm out. That would have been the failure. But the fact that he dislocated his hip, he can't fight anymore, he's, he's disabled, he reaches out and he grabs him, and he's like, I'm not letting go. Get that in your mind, and use that symbolism in your own life. I am not letting go. It hurts unlike anything I've ever felt, but I'm not letting go. I'm gonna continue to move. I want that blessing. I want to stay with you. And so he's like, all right, fine. You win. And I love that. He's like, you won. Change your name. You're going to get the blessing that you were looking for. You could say, because of what he tells him, because of God's plan, you could say, You've, you have officially passed the test of the rite of passage to be connected to the descendants that I will put on this earth. You're the man that I'm going to use. You're the right person. All right. It says, the name Israel might be defined as he struggled, struggled with God. It is the name of a victor. God's chosen people would become known as Israel. They would contend for the faith, and victory would come as they trusted God. Jacob has a mysterious figure to give his name. His response implied Jacob should have known it, and he did. Do you notice what, his, what was his reply? He says, what is your name? The man asked uh, when he, was, he said, Jacob. And the word that he said in 29, he says, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? 
The implication is you already know who I am. And I love that. You know why I love that? Because that's you and me acting like we don't know whether God's with us or not. It's like, God, are you with me? It's like, why do you even have to ask? Why, why are you asking that question? You know I'm with you. And it's like, God, are you, with, are you here? You know I'm here. Why are you asking that question? I see a lot I see a lot of myself, and you probably see yourself. You see yourself and Jacob asking these kind of questions. Who, who are you? Like, you know who I am. Don't act like you don't know. It's me. And so we act like that sometimes. We, don't, we act like we don't know if it's God or not, and it is. Jacob named the place uh, Peniel, which means face of God. Jacob had encountered God and received blessing. God changed Jacob's name, reaffirming that his descendants would be blessed, and through them the entire human race would be blessed. That's some kind of change. <laughs> that's some kind of name change. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. But he didn't give up. He stayed with it. And he refused to give up. All right, let's go to section two. Jacob submits to God. By Genesis 35, Jacob had reconciled with Esau. There's a lot of stuff that's happened from before till now, but that's fine. Now God was directing him back to Bethel, where he had affirmed the covenant decades earlier. There, Jacob had made a vow that the Lord would be his God. He had sealed that vow with a memorial pillar, which would become a place of worship to the Lord. Jacob was to build an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau, reminding him of God's protection and provision. It also served as a rebuke. Jacob had settled in Shechem after his reconciliation with Esau. Chapter 34 records the tragedies that occurred during that time. By returning to Bethel, Jacob would be where God wanted him to be. And if you read the story and you start seeing the things that begin to unfold, and I can't really, I don't want to really key on anything. I just want to tell you it like this, is that you start reading about the deaths in the family and the things that took place. You think, man, that was tragic, though. That was bad. Right? That means that when you go through those type of tragedies, that means things just kind of get worse, right? Things are bad. No, actually, if you'll notice what happened, it was because of those situations that put him in the proper placement. Like, but how did, how did God do that? I don't know. And it doesn't really matter. What you need to know is that through the tragedies of your own life, you're still in it. It hasn't taken you out. If anything, it's put you farther in. And then we, we think, well, this happened, though, and it kind of took me out of the game. And, and this happened, and it was, it was damaging, and it hurt. Absolutely it was damaging, and it hurt. And you were out living life. And when we, when we, when we want to experience God and, and be close to him, life still happens. Life still takes place. We're not guaranteed that we're not going to endure tragedies. We're not guaranteed that everything is just going to work out exactly the way we plan. I think in today's culture, I see it more, it used to be more prevalent, but it's less prevalent now, that people just have these game plans, almost like a life game plan now, where they've got their whole life mapped out up to re through retirement. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it's almost like we're saying, this is the direction I'm going, I'm going that way, and this is what's best for me. We have to be careful with mapping things out so deep that we forget that God also has a plan, and that might usurp your plan and put you in a different location. 
This is why when we look at tragedies or, or things that happen to our life that, that replace us and put us in a different location, we call those failures. Well, had that not happened, I would be in a better place. Would you? Maybe we're not fully understanding that God's plans are better than our plans. He took into consideration of the things that were going to happen in your life that would offset you. You didn't. Nor can you. I can't. There's no way I can plan this thing out from this day forward. And I've got some planning experience. And my wife will tell you, I like stuff planned out. I don't like stuff spur of the moment. And I like to execute down to the T. It's like, you tell me we're going to go to this place at 6 o'clock? We're going there at 6 o'clock. I live my life by schedules. That's what I do. And I like it when things line up. They need to. And keep things in order. But I've also learned that when things start getting shuffled around, my first response is aggravation. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Aggravation. But I don't want to refer back to a point that I made earlier, is that I have seen this so many times in my life, even in my, in my business and in life itself, when I plan something and all of a sudden I see a massive shuffle, I have to tell myself, hold on a second. I think God's doing something here. Hold on. Don't get angry just yet. Because I've learned God will come in and upset that to get you to be replaced and put you in the place that you need to be. Yeah. It is not beyond God to be able to replace you and, and to plant you in a new situation. And you might be upset emotionally, but God is well pleased. He's like, this is where exactly where you need to be. And I wish I could tell you exactly how all that works out. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it really matters. I think we get too attached to all the whys, and it doesn't really make a difference. What we need to understand is that God is in control of those things, and we just need to let him have control. Go ahead. Uh, in my walk, it feels like I'm a creature of comfort. I like my comfort. I want my comfort. Mm -hmm. I feel comfortable in whatever situation. And the Lord refines us. The only way we can move forward is to be refined. And sometimes, like you said, the Lord will bring you into the forge and form you into what he needs you to do through the pain and hammer you and yeah. quench you and do all the things he needs to do. Sure. And I, I just, in my season right now, over time in life, it, it, there's times where he, he's calling you back and you know what that means. You know <laughs> yeah. that it's going to mean pain. You That's know true. that it means you're going to have to get hammered out. You're going to have to be thrown in the fire and melted and and if you crack, guess what? You go back in again, hammer it out. You go back until that crack is gone. Because he, like in this season, he may need you to be a sword before, but now he needs you to be a shield. Mm -hmm. He's got to put you back Good in, point. reform you to be what he needs you to be mm -hmm. at that time. Absolutely. That's a good, I think it's a good point. Um, and so we, I think we agree that the struggle opens, uh, opens itself to placement. Sometimes we struggle, but the struggle puts us where we need to be. Jacob commanded every pagan idol should be destroyed and every household member should go through ritual cleansing. This included getting rid of idols Rachel had taken from her father's household. If you read that in 31, 34, and 35, the Bible actually points that out, that she had taken idols and taken them with her. It's like, it's like oh, okay, well, what does that mean, though? Well, she was holding on to some, some false gods and some beliefs that were incorrect and wrong. From where? From her family. From her, from her father. It's like, okay, we got to get rid of those. We got, what does that mean? That's getting rid of old ways of thinking. I'm not, I'm not saying you should get rid of, I'm not saying you should get rid of your family stuff if your family's taught you something good, but that's also what I mean by unraveling what you learn, because some of those things come from family generations that have been passed down. 
belief systems and ideas that are just constantly handed from one generation to the next. And in this sense, the idols had to be put away. It's like, we got to get rid of the idols. We're, gonna, we're about to build a memorial. We're about to honor the Lord. We can't come before him dirty. We got to come before him clean. It's such a great um, analogy for what we do in our own homes today. It's like, oh yeah, I want to honor the Lord. Then you be careful with what you're watching. You want to honor the Lord with your house and your home and where you dwell? Watch what you're watching. Watch what you're allowing in your home. Watch what you're listening to. Watch what's coming through your phone. And make sure the things that are coming into your house are things that honor the Lord. No, this is not the Old Testament, but there's no way in the world you can argue this point as is being um, unimportant. We don't have to do those things anymore. <laughs> no, we don't have to. I want to. I want to clean my house up. I want to honor the Lord. Do, do, do we not understand that that was the point anyway? That's the point. You got to want to do it. You've, we talked about it before. I think if you got to ask the question, it's like, do we have to do that? You've, you've already, you're off on the wrong foot. Does that make sense? We're asking the wrong question if I have to do it. If you have to, if you say that, you got the wrong attitude. My coach always used to tell me, he said, you don't have to do it. You get to do it. For us, it's want to do it. I want to honor you. I want to build an altar to you that honors you. They were to purify themselves and change their clothes. Then Jacob would build an altar to God. We too must be pure through Christ, although it involves a personal response. Notice what the lesson points out. We too must be pure through Christ. Okay, I can't, there's nothing that I can do about the cross. The cross did all the work for me, correct? But what is the lesson saying? The lesson is saying that the cross demands a response, though. What does that mean? That means that I have to actually clean myself up. I actually have to stop doing certain things. I actually have to physically pick things up and say, that's not good for me. Trash can. Right? Amen. What, if, I mean, what else did you, what do you think deliverance looks like? What do we think it actually looks like? On the fundamental level, what does that actually look like? Because at some point in time, you got to turn loose of it and let it go. At some point in time, we can't do the old thing anymore. we got to do the new thing. So it involves a personal response. Jacob dealt straightforwardly with the problem of his household's idols and pagan religious items. He buried them under the great tree near Shechem. The word translated buried or hid is different from the word translated buried in verse 8. It conveys the sense of hiding, implying that they would leave the gods they worshipped in the past and worship only the Lord. A new season was awaiting Jacob's family in Bethel. But in order to get to that new season, there had to be some serious changes. Right? There had to be a... What, what changed? A name was changed. We got that. We got, that's the initial part. Then he's like, okay, now we're going to build this altar. Now we're going to clean the families up, the households. We're going to get the old idols out. We're going to move all the things out. We are serving the Lord God of Israel, and this is what he commands. And so we're going to follow that. And that was what he was doing. They were preparing themselves for this new season. All right, now let's apply that to you. Let's go back to some of the pain and the things that, that, that you're dealing with or some of the things that you've dealt with in the past. And I think we've come to this conclusion now in the lesson that the pain doesn't mean that things are going wrong. It means there's growth. Is it possible that he's preparing you for a new season in your life? Is it possible that God is trying to get things jump-started 
for a new spiritual revival inside your heart? Asking you to do away with certain things? I, I know I cannot be the only person that's ever been in prayer and God begin to deal with them about turning loose or letting go of something. And I'm like, why? Why do I have to quit doing that? Why do I have to stop that? Not understanding fully the big picture that God is trying to jumpstart something in my life. And in order to get that new season jumpstarted, I'm going to have to put away some old idols. Hey, Tanner, you've carried some things over from your old life. You've, carried, you've, you've picked up some bad habits, and you've picked up some things that are not good for your, for your spiritual health. I'm going to ask you to quit those things and start putting those things down in order for us to move on in your spiritual walk and for you to continue to grow. The only thing that you and I hear is I have to quit. I didn't want to quit. It was good. It was fun. I enjoyed that. Well, of course you did. He's not asking you to quit something you didn't like. <laughs> that, would be, that would be easy. Most of the time you're quitting or having to stop something that's pleasurable to the flesh. But God is asking you this because there's some sort of connection that you have with this thing, this action, that it has turned into an idol to you. And so he's like, I got I to gotta detach you from that. I got to get you away from that in order for us to grow. You can't grow with that in your life. You got to let it go. And so the first thing we do is we pick up the Bible and say, let's see where God said that I have to quit that. You're already on the wrong foot. You're on the wrong foot. You say, well, Tanner, the Bible is going to have all of that in there, right? Listen, are you not open to personal conviction? We're not open for God coming to us and dealing with us and telling us to stop certain things. It's like we always want the Bible to always be black and white to us. And if you've read the Bible for any amount of time, you know it doesn't work that way. It's almost like we're expecting every little bitty thing to be mapped out for you. You have to be obedient to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to you and he's like, hey, put that down. Be obedient. <laughs> I'm telling you from a vantage point of someone that's still putting stuff down, all right? I'm telling you from somebody, I'm not telling you like I don't understand this. This hurts. This is the process that's difficult. But I'm telling you this because it's it, we're not seeing the big picture. We're not. We're just thinking about something we're not going to get to do anymore. We're thinking about, listen, well, I really enjoyed that. Why do I, I don't want to put that down. That's all we see. And God is saying, turn loose. I've got bigger plans for you i got some bigger things ahead for you. But you're going to have to get rid of those old small idols and get them out of your way. Okay. Um, as Jacob and his clan, that's where I'm at, I think, yeah, made their way south, God miraculously prepared the way. He caused a sense of panic to grip the population around Bethel, squelching any desire the Canaanites and Pezzarites might have had to attack and slay Jacob's household. That's protection, right? God had been with Jacob each step of the way. Faithful through every high and low. So Jacob built an altar and named the place El Bethel, meaning God of Bethel. This was the very place God had profoundly blessed Jacob by giving him the name Israel. His physical travels and his spiritual journey had come full circle. Our creator has a plan for each of our lives. Like Jacob, we may stray far from that purpose, but God can restore us, redeem us, and give us a new life. You, you, hadn't, you hadn't done enough wrong for God not to be able to recover you. You can't. It's impossible. We come to God, we come to God with a mess. We come to God with a train wreck. 
And he'll figure out something to do with that. That's him. That's what he does. But we're going to have to be okay with the way he wants to do it. We're going to have to be okay with him working it and doing what he does best. That's, he's, that's, I don't mean this, I'm not taking anything away from him in the way he does it supernaturally, but that's his business. He's in the business of restoration and restoring lives and bringing you back to a solid place in your life. That's what he does best. So, I mean, if you're, if you're dealing with that, why not just let him do it? Why do we keep trying to meddle with it and get our hand in there and say, but God, hold on, I got an idea. Let him have it. Part three, Abrahamic covenant reaffirmed. After the death of uh, Rebekah's nursemaid, God again appeared to Jacob. God restated Jacob's name change, a reminder of God's blessing to him. Then God declared, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, he was making sure that he remembered, and, and of course he knew, but at the same time it was the statement that God wanted him to know who you're actually dealing with. I want you to know, this is who I am, this is who you are. This is who I am. You, you get the relationship, why he drew those lines? He's like, you're the one that I blessed. You're the one that I made the promise and the covenant with. It came from me. And don't forget, I keep my word. That's what he was saying. By stating the names on both sides. God's next words, be fruitful and multiply, echoed his instruction to Adam and Eve. God was moving to redeem what had been lost in the fall. God reviewed what he had told Abraham when, with one further point. Jacob would become many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. This likely foreshadows Abraham's role as a spiritual father. Galatians 3, 6-9 and Romans 9 and 8 declare that God's promise includes both Jews and Gentiles. Every nation, every people group, is invited to become heirs of that promise, and that's where we're at today. This promise found its physical reality in the land God would give Abraham and Jacob's descendants. Jacob was a resident alien in the land of Canaan, yet it was his promised land. It would belong to his descendants. Despite unfortunate events and unwise choices, Jacob was where God intended. Now, how in the world did God work all that out? Through unwise choices, unfortunate events, yet he still finds his way to God. That's the way God works. I think, so. I think you need to know that this morning. I really do. I think we need to be reacquainted with the, with the God that despite your mistake, despite your decision-making, God is still able to do his work. Amen. He's still able to recover. He's still able to make... You, think, you look back at some of these stories uh, in the Old Testament... And these weren't just mistakes, these were blunders. And you think, wow, that's crazy. We're talking about some serious mistake-making, bad decision-making. God still come on the scene. He's like, oh, yeah, I can clean that up. I'm going to clean it up. And now we've got Jesus, the intermediation for you and I before God the Father. The Bible tells us that I'm even under, I'm under a better covenant. Because I've got Jesus going to the Father for me. You couldn't ask for a better situation to be in. And so God is still in the restoration business. God is still in the redeeming business. God is still in, in, the, in the place where he can take you from where you're at today, considering all circumstances, and he can still bring you and put you where you need to be with him, and you can still fulfill his plan. I hope that's encouraging to you this morning. Um, 
Sometimes, maybe you can relate to this, sometimes we wrestle too much with our past. We wrestle way too much with it. And I'm not saying that we don't have past that have been tattered with sin and we've made some mistakes, but what, what often we do is, is we, we make a mistake or we, we take a step back or, or whatever it is, and then we get to thinking, say, maybe, maybe I did really blow it. Maybe I really did miss the mark. Maybe I did miss my time. Has anyone ever said that other than me? It's like, I missed it. My time's over with. There's no more. I won't have another chance to get back there again. You might want to let God have an opportunity. Keep your hand off of it. Stay away from it and let God do it. We often, we do that. We meddle too much with our pasts. Jacob knew this covenant moment had to be remembered for generations, so he once again set up a stone memorial in Bethel. He poured wine over it and anointed it with olive oils and offering to God. This place would be called Bethel or house of God. For there God had met Jacob and affirmed his promises. <coughs> and so what we're doing this morning, you know, with this lesson, and really the content of everything that's been said this morning, I love this lesson. And I, and I wish we had more time. There's a lot of material that we just weren't able to cover and discuss this morning. But see, that's what you're doing with your life. You're bringing it as an offering to God. You're a living sacrifice. You bring yourself to God and you drop yourself off. Literally, that's what you're doing. You bring yourself before him. You say, here I am. And I've got some, I got some baggage and I've got some, uh, some rubbish and I've got some things that I don't like. But here, here I am. That's all I got. And that's what God is looking for from you and I. And yes, there's going to be some struggles. Yes, there's going to be some times when there's a lot of pain. But remember, that's when you're growing the most. Don't forget that. Don't forget that in the midst of everything. That, that That is the time when you're furthering yourself with God. Don't give up in the middle of the growth. That's when you're getting the farthest. Remember these things. I hope you meditate on these things uh, throughout the week. And go back to this lesson and look. And now, if you've never read these stories in Genesis, please go and read the whole story. And see how this thing unfolds and see how God worked uh, in their lives. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.